This episode of Policing Matters is sponsored by Utility Inc., the innovative technology-enabled service provider recognized for creating groundbreaking digital systems for frontline professions in effectively collecting, analyzing, and managing digital media evidence. Hey, you're listening to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. Thank you so much for listening. Today, we have a great speaker who talks about demonstrations and protests. They've intensified over the past few years. We've seen legislation of what, where, and when someone can be shared in public places. We saw one state try to regulate the rights of onlookers and their ability to record police activity only to be struck down by their courts. We have seen the social media posts of law enforcement officers that have led to sanctions and discipline. Are we all on the same page when it comes to knowing the First Amendment and free speech? Our guest today is Chief Jeff Scott. Chief Scott has served over 35 years in public safety, including 25 years in law enforcement in a wide variety of roles and ranks, and retired as the chief of police in 2019 with the Notre Dame College Police Department. Presently, Chief Scott remains very active in his training development as an analyst, serving part-time as an officer and training officer for a small agency in Ohio, as well as performing consulting and training services in evidence room management, law enforcement leadership, leading agencies in strategic planning, expert court testimony, and an avid taser, OC, firearms, and RAD instructor, rape aggression defense. He was also a legal instructor. This past summer, Chief Scott addressed an assembly of police chiefs and command staff at the Georgia Chiefs Summer Conference on First Amendment auditors. He is here to talk about key points to remember and policies that we should think about for our agencies. Hey, welcome to Policing Matters, Chief Jeff Scott. Thanks, Jim. It's great to be here with you today. What moved you to speak about First Amendment auditors and what are they? Well, actually, before we jump into this, I just want to make sure everybody knows we have no conflicts, or at least I have no conflicts of interest today in our discussion. Um, I have no disclosures other than the fact that I'm here on my own accord exercising my First Amendment rights and privileges. Um, so that's really important to understand those legal parts in the background. Uh, but again, any police officers or command staff that are listening to what I have to say in my commentary, uh, please do not take this as legal advice for your agency. Please work and consult with your local prosecuting attorney or a law director when you're talking about how to respond to incidents like this or how you're going to deal with calls uh, dealing with these First Amendment auditors. So to get to the original question, uh, what really moved me to get into this was my love for the Constitution and my love for case law. So, and this really developed back when I was in my field training um, with my uh, first agency uh, where I was full time and going through my FTO. Uh, one of my FTOs was an avid reader of constitutional law. And um, in fact, I'll dime him out by name is Rich Miller. He was fantastic. One of the best FTOs I've ever experienced or been around. And because he got into reading case law and understanding the implications of court decisions, that drove my love for it just as much, and even to this day. So I was actually working on some research on Second Amendment. So I was watching videos, 
uh, analyzing videos, analyzing court documents. And as a result of it, a First Amendment audit came up on my YouTube screen. And as I'm watching it, I'm cringing because I'm watching the officers that are dealing with this individual exercising their constitutional rights. The officers, unfortunately, were doing it all wrong. And you know, I still work the streets part-time, so I still get it. I'm out there and, and I understand the perils that we're under in law enforcement. Um, but unfortunately, these officers were clearly not trained. And, you know, when you look at these videos, I, I always look at videos as an opportunity to learn, but I'm also using those videos when I'm training other police officers, um, especially on the things what not to do. How can we learn from it? How can we move forward? But, you know, it's kind of interesting. It's really driven now to the point where it's, it's impacting us in law enforcement in a really negative light. And my passion now is how can we get information out to the law enforcement, out to these agencies to help the officers succeed while also maintaining the constitutional rights and privileges of the citizens they come in contact with. Well, having said that, Chief, what is uh, today's law enforcement uh, biggest challenge in dealing with First Amendment issues? The one thing I'm seeing pretty universal, and it's not all videos, so let me make this disclaimer. There are some departments out there and videos that I've watched, they're doing it well. They've been highly trained. They understand the Constitution. They understand their laws of their state. And obviously, their department has given them really good direction um, in dealing with people that are exercising their First Amendment rights. And that's great. That's exactly what we want to see. But unfortunately, unfortunately the majority of videos that I'm watching and, and analyzing these officers either don't understand the Constitution and how it's applied and how it's applied appropriately, nor do they understand their state laws. In fact, there's a, a state trooper out of New York. It's a video that's just gone viral here in the last year or so where he made the comment, I don't care what the Constitution says. You're going to give me your ID. And I cringed. How can you say you don't care about the Constitution? Did you not swear an oath to uphold that constitution? But luckily, a sergeant, or I, I don't know if it was a sergeant or master sergeant or first sergeant, came out and saved his bacon um, because they were going toe to toe with each other. The First Amendment auditor, um, basically, what it was is they were flying a drone on public property, um, capturing photography of their academy. Now, there's no problem with the officer going up and having consensual contact. But in this video, the consensual contact went south quick. Um, but unfortunately, the officer in making that comment, I don't know if he knew what he said. I'm sure he's rethought that now. Um, but we're finding officers really don't understand the Constitution. And they really need to go back to the basics. And I think the basic academies really need to make sure that they're teaching that, but we also need to make sure that we're reiterating these things within our law enforcement culture. The other thing that we're finding, and when I say we, there's others, not just me, that are analyzing this stuff. Um, and I do have a lot of conversations with other chiefs and helping agencies draft policy, um, talk about situations that have happened, but also we're finding a challenge to understanding what reasonable, articulable suspicion actually means and how it can be applied. 
And then we're also, again, talking about that famous word, consensual contact. That's um, really kind of interesting. As I was doing all this research and watching some videos, uh, there were some officers that were struggling. I got to know Texas Penal Code 3802 pretty well. Um, and it has to do with when a suspect has to ID. And in 3802, unless it's changed overnight, uh, they don't have to identify until they've actually been arrested. So if an officer is making contact and the, and the person they're having contact with says, I'm not giving you my ID, until that person's actually arrested for a crime, it's not a crime in violation of 3802 from what I understand and how I've read it and interpreted it. So, you know, again, officers have really got to be careful when it comes to their local laws. I've also heard officers making up stuff, um, just making up stuff out of the ether. And it's like, where did you get that from? So, and again, some of it I think is just to preserve them from being embarrassed. Um, you know, we, we want to try to preserve our dignity as much as possible. But again, we can't sacrifice that to the point of going against other people's constitutional rights. And then there's something that was interesting. Einstein brought up this, ego equals one over knowledge. And here's how it applies. Unfortunately, I've seen egos get in the way, right? And it's just a reality of the business that we're in. And we've learned that the more knowledge you have, the less ego you have. But unfortunately, the less knowledge you have, the more ego gets brought into a situation. And we really don't want that. We don't need that in a tense situation to begin with. And we're also observing officers that are literally coming in from zero and going 100 um, hell's bells. And it's like, whoa, stop. You know, we're in the period now of de-escalation. We've got to learn how to de-escalate. But it's kind of interesting when it comes to de-escalation that if officers would just do one thing, and I've learned this with these auditors and watching their videos, just properly identify yourself. When you come into a situation, and I learned this early in my career, a good proper introduction to a citizen or a suspect actually de-escalates. It starts the de-escalation process. And with the First Amendment auditors, that's usually the first thing that they're asking for. What's your name and your rank and your badge number? Well, get it out of the way right away. And what I've seen in the videos I'm watching is if officers properly come in and identify, you can automatically see the First Amendment auditor decrease their level of anxiety. So why not come in, don't point at your badge, don't point at your name tag and say, my name is right here. It's on my vest. You have a mouth, use it. Tell them, hi, my name is Officer Scott. I'm with XYZ Police Department. My badge number is 722. What's going on today? Is there anything I can help you with? And again, look at the tone. Look at your approach. There's videos where officers immediately, they haven't even had begun consensual dialogue and they're automatically demanding ID. I need to see your ID right now. Well, wait a minute, we haven't even established why we're there, haven't even established why, they're, why they are there. We're just coming in full bore and it's no wonder that these struggles are taking place. So again, we just gotta do a better job. And at the end of the day, that, that's the goal here is to try to equip officers, give them knowledge, help them succeed and, and not violate people's rights because there's millions of dollars being paid out needlessly because of how officers are approaching these situations.
Yeah, it's certainly nuanced in those situations that you're talking about. You know, even uh, at the college where I teach, we talk the first two weeks about the Bill of Rights, about the First Amendment and the freedom of speech, the press, religion, all of that. We talk about the Fourth Amendment. And I think in our police academies, I know in our police academies, especially when it comes to use of force, when it comes to search and seizure, search and seizure, of course, we talk about the Fourth Amendment. We talk about case law and MAP versus Ohio and Terry versus Ohio, not to pile on Ohio where you, where you are today. Yeah, we've made our mistakes out here, haven't we? <laughs> but are we doing enough? Are we, you know, are we leaving the basis for those uh, Supreme Court rulings uh, without fully vetting them to today's recruit? Well, you know, I think at the end of the day, there's so much that officers have to know. Um, there's so much piled on them. You know, I, I remember going through the academy. It was like half the hours that it is today. I mean, for here in Ohio, it's like 872 hours. And, and I argue that's not enough. I think they need to be spending more time in the academy. And obviously a lot more topics that they really need to go more in depth. Now, I will say this to their benefit, they have a really robust um, academy program and curriculum. So it's really not necessarily the curriculum, but it's the fact that we need more hours with that really good, robust curriculum that they do have. And a lot of that has to be uh, looked at in terms of scenario-based training. You know, that's the minimum hours. There are academies here in the state where they can go above the hours. That's just the minimum. And there are places where that is happening. They're spending time in scenario-based training. Uh, Columbus Police Department has an entire section of their building that's totally outfitted uh, with a bar, a living room, a garage. I mean, it, it's, it has everything staged for officers to be able to go in and actually do scenario-based training. Um, there's an institution here in Northern Ohio um, that put in an entire village. They built it just like the FBI village, um, which is great. I, I mean, these things are fantastic giving these recruits the best possible education that they can. But here's, here's where we're falling short. And if there's any recommendations that I can give to an agency, a chief, a, a command staff, and even officers, you have to invest in your education. But here's, here's something interesting. So one of a couple of videos that I just saw even this week, literally the officers are having an engagement with a First Amendment auditor. And they are asking, the auditor's asking for a supervisor to respond. So while the supervisor's responding, the officers are digging a hole, they're going deep, right? The supervisor gets on scene, gets an understanding of what's going on. Oh, you know what? There's no violation of law here. You're not trespassing. The eyes cannot trespass. Um, there's no violation here. Guys, well, let's wrap it up. We're out of here. Well, the one thing that came to my mind is if the sergeant knew that or the lieutenant knew that, and in one of the videos, it was the chief who actually came out, shut it all down before his officers really got themselves into too much trouble uh, legally, why wasn't that information passed along to the officers? Why are we not doing roll call training? You know, here's, here's I think, one of the, the most critical things that a department can do. Why don't you take your roll calls Take 10 minutes, even three days a week, okay? 
If you run 12 hour shifts and you're running three 12s a week, great. You can do it those three times. If you run five days a week, fine. Take three out of the five. Run a 10 minute roll call training. Take a scenario, take a video, play it, look at your policies, talk, talk with your officers and train them right then and there, but also document it. Make sure you document that training. This should be given credit to those officers. And think about this. If you do that for 10 minutes, three days a week, that's 30 minutes. Think how that accumulates and adds up over an entire year. So, you know, when we talk about these situations and all other kinds of things that are going on, there's a case from Ohio. Um, I, boy, we're famous in the Supreme Court, it seems. Um, but it's called Canton v. Harris, C-A-N-T-O-N v. Harris. It's a 1989 case. Basically, in a nutshell, you as a command staff, a chief, a lieutenant, a sergeant, a corporal, you can be held accountable for failing to train your officers. And if you don't, you're maintaining a position of deliberate indifference. Go read the language in this case law. It is amazing. So when you argue before your council or your township trustees, and they're saying, hey, there's no money in the budget, put the Canton v. Carrot, Canton v. Harris case right in front of them. Don't be deliberately indifferent to the needs of training for your officers. Again, when I think about these things, it's really educating ourselves. And let me, let me share a couple tidbits for, for the officers that are listening out there. If, you have, if, if you've been called to the post office, this is where a lot of amendment or these First Amendment auditors spend their time. Um, in fact, one of them, Amagansett Press, usually shows up at the post offices. Read Poster 7. Poster 7 are the rules governing postal property activities. So as a First Amendment auditor who is exercising their rights as media, and oh, by the way, something I wanted that, that I wanted to share out there, there is no outlet for media credentials. A lot of officers keep coming up and saying, I need to see your media credentials. There's no outlet in the United States that officially governs media um, IDs. So get that out of your verbiage. Those things don't exist. They're made up by the companies that they work for, but they're not required. So these independent auditors or, or independent, independent media groups, they can write their name on, on a piece of paper and there's their ID. So those things don't exist. Um, but anyways, read poster seven. In there are the rules. It allows them to be in the foyers, the lobbies, the common areas of the post office and can videotape all day long. And that's the thing, videotaping from public, your eyes can't trespass and there's no expectation of privacy. So for people that say, I don't wanna be videotaped and you have to have my consent to, to put me on video. The last time I checked, that's negative. Um, you're in public, there's no expectation of privacy. And if you want privacy, you have to create it yourself. The other person that's videotaping is not obligated to develop that privacy. This brings up another point. If the auditors are videotaping in your parking lot at the police department, they're videotaping cars, they're videotaping cruisers coming in and out. Yeah, it's kind of odd. It's probably out of the norm because you probably don't see it every day, but has it, but has it reached the level of a crime? Well, I've heard them say, well, you know, it's a crime for them to videotape the computers sitting in the car. 
Now, one could probably argue, yes, there's private information that is on there, but who needs to create that privacy? We do as law enforcement. Shut the screen or do like a couple departments have done and get the screen protectors. So again, just be smart about it. Know it's going to happen, but don't go nuts because of it. Um, the other thing is have uh, agencies look up the 2018 Department of Homeland Security memo that was put out. The Department of Homeland Security clearly has stated it is not a violation of law or the Constitution to videotape on government property in the common areas. Now, if the doors are shut, it's a private area and it's clearly marked private. That's the exception. But in the, in the common areas of their lobbies and, and foyers, all of that, the Department of Homeland Security has even said that is not a violation. It is not a problem. But yet we've got video after video after video of federal agencies or federal agents going absolutely berserk because somebody's taping in their lobby or they're taping from the sidewalk they're building. Now, yes, I'm not ignorant in the fact that there are people out there threatening government agencies, whether it's local or federal. We need to go out, check the person out. You know, we're cops. Think about what you do for a living. You deal with people for a living. We can usually read people within about 10 or 15 seconds of contact with them. And when I watch these videos, within about 10 or 15 seconds, you can make a decision pretty quick whether this person has a mental illness and is going down a lane that we probably should look at a little bit deeper versus, you know what, they're out here with a camera, they got a yellow vest on, they got an orange hat on. I don't think they're a threat. I don't think we're gonna have a problem. You know what, sir or ma'am, have a great day. Exercise your constitutional rights, we're out of here. And if they would do that, they wouldn't be in the hot water that some agencies are in, that are in right now. Um, so again, education is, is absolutely important. It needs to happen on a regular basis. Um, there are some free opportunities that are available out there. Um, again, I have no conflicts of interest with these companies. Um, I don't represent them and get no money from them, but dartrange.com, D-A-R-T-R-A-N-G-E.com has a de-escalation program uh, that's free, doesn't cost a dime. Um, active bystandership for, for law enforcement that's uh, put on by Georgetown uh, Law that's available for free. You can send officers to it to get um, trained as an instructor. I am one. Um, great program to bring back to your department and agency. Another one is Wright Academy, R-I-T-E, academy.com, uh, racial intelligence training and engagement. Again, talks about de-escalation. We've got to start training officers in de-escalation. And had these officers taken training in these areas, they probably would not have gotten in trouble. Hey, I want to shift um, a little bit to protests and demonstrations. Um, we've got some big topics brewing right now, certainly Roe v. Wade. We've got uh, conflicts abroad. We've got the Russia-Ukraine uh, war, uh, Korea. Iran, uh, and then and a lot of other issues right here at home. Uh, and we have an election coming up in November, right? So we are often placed, law enforcement officers are often placed diametrically between opposing groups. How can we ensure fair policing at these events? Is it first come, first served? What about your auditors who show up and want to get behind 
the barricades uh, inside with police or on the other side or in areas that we prohibit. What's what's your um, what's your recommendation there? You know, this is really, really tough. Um, I was a bike officer for many years and I was trained in how to respond as a bike officer on a team um, to protests. And I remember talking about this training quite a bit, and I still talk about it even today, that, you know, we really have to think about why are we there? And we're really put in an odd position, right? Because here's the thing. One, we have to remember we're human beings. We have feelings. We have thoughts. But at the end of the day, we're police officers. We swore to uphold the Constitution and to protect the interests of everybody, no matter what creed they are, no matter what religion they are, no matter what sex they are, um, you know, no matter what they claim in life, it's our job to protect their constitutional interests and preserve that, but also preserve the peace. So thinking about all of that, at the end of the day, we're the people that are stuck in the middle, right? We're the ones that get to deal with the fight that goes on between the two. But here's the catch. We've got to preserve the rights of both sides. We've got people that want to exercise free speech. But how do you preserve that on both sides of the fence when you're stuck right in the middle? So sometimes there's just no answer, right? Violence is not an answer. Uh, violence you should take no exceptions to any violence that is going on or any threats. Now, I've always been the type that, hey, you want to stand at the street corner and yell at the top of your lungs? Guess what? There's people, there's men and women who fought for that right for you to do that, and I will do everything I can to preserve that right. But the point that you cross the line to cause harm to somebody else, you're throwing, uh, you know, rockets and grenades and and Molotov cocktails and uh, throwing rocks, that's where you draw the line. Those things cannot happen. That violence has no place when it comes to First Amendment. I see nowhere in the First Amendment where it says you have the right to bring violence. However, if you're using your voice and, and you're following the law, then guess what? You can stand there all day long and I will make sure that that right is preserved. And here's the thing, you may be arguing about something I do not agree with. There's several things that are out there in the ether right now that I have very strong, passionate views on um, personally. But at the end of the day, I have to lock my personal feelings up. My personal feelings cannot get involved in somebody's argument. I have to make sure that their constitutional rights are preserved and protected because that's what I swore to. I swore an oath to that. Nowhere in there does it say that I'm the feelings police. But at the end of the day, feelings are not what we're looking at. We're looking at what does the constitution say? We're looking at what does our state constitution say for wherever you're at and the local laws and ordinances. And hopefully those laws and ordinances are supportive and, and supported by the Constitution and not unconstitutional. Um, actually, it was kind of funny with the First Amendment auditing. Uh, we found a video where a village uh, posted some signage 
And at the end of the day, come to find out their signage was unconstitutional. So, but that got brought out and it got resolved. So the end of the day, think about the order. Think about the order that all those things go in that I just said, and the constitution is the first one. So we need to make sure that we're following that wholeheartedly. You know, so really it's a hard balance. The men and women that have to go stand the line in these kind of situations, I feel for them, I have empathy for them. But again, knowledge is the key. Knowing the constitution inside and out, understanding how it needs to be applied and how to do that is sometimes difficult, but your agency has an obligation to make sure that they give you the tools and the training and you're exercising those so you have the confidence to be able to go out and do this well, to make sure that we're balanced on both sides and we don't violate people's constitutional rights. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, as far as technically uh, and the mechanics of things, if we knew uh, a protest or demonstration was coming, we would definitely as command people try to contact both sides of the demonstration what did they want? How many people did they expect? Where did they plan to assemble? If they were going to march, where? What was their route? Um, and we use some natural barriers. You know, you guys stay on this side of the street. You stay on that side of the street. Um, waterways, traffic, uh, all kinds of natural things. So we, you know, the less we had to stage, the better. But um, like media, we could build pens and say, okay, this is your staging area. Uh, otherwise, you're going to interfere with traffic or commerce or um, something else. And uh, I think sometimes there's a feeling that for spontaneous demonstrations and protests, that it's anything goes. And the yeah. Constitution, First Amendment says, for peaceable assembly. And I think sometimes we forget that. For me, fire was no no fires no effigies no fires you want to walk around with a dummy on a stick have at it once you set them on fire your protest is over yeah you know and it's hard with some of these protests that you see um because it's hard to stand there and watch officers get injured so you've got protests going on you know again we're only human but at the end of the day we've got to lock up that and we've got to act on the legal side of the house and, and that can be tough. I, I, I empathize and sympathize with those that, you know, situations have happened where people have gotten critically injured. Officers have been struck in the head. They've been shot. Um, I get it. And I'm sorry you have to go through all those things. But, it, you know, we also have to make sure that we're on the right side of the law and we're not violating the law and also violating the privileges that are afforded to other people through the Constitution. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, but I think we definitely draw the line at violence and absolutely any acts towards police. Then, then, uh, yeah, nothing says we have to allow that 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 sort of demonstration. Nope, not at all. There should be a zero tolerance for violence. Totally agree with that. All right. Hey, I want to talk about First, um, First Amendment rights of officers. That's a switch, right? But oh, yeah. uh, first, first, I'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsor. Utility provides a universe of intuitive solutions for effectively capturing, analyzing, managing, and sharing video evidence. Technologies include a variety of cameras, sensors, 
devices, as well as situational awareness software solutions for law enforcement, first responders, transportation agencies, and utility providers. To learn more about utility and its technology solutions, visit utility.com. That's U-T-I-L-I-T-Y dot com. And we're back and I'm speaking with Chief Jeff Scott, who is uh, talking about First Amendment activities, rights. And Chief, we're talking about the rights of officers. It's something rare, right? Uh, Surely they cannot opt out of situations when they don't agree with the topic. Say we send you know, squads or platoons of officers into um, be on hand for a demonstration or a protest, and whether it's a religious objection or you just don't agree with one side or the other, what do we say to those officers? Is there something we can do? You know, I think a lot of times we get drawn in on the emotional level. And again, it's hard sometimes to separate our emotions to the job that we have to do. Because again, we are human. We bring humanness into any situation that we have. And, and sometimes I think we're expected to be superheroes and put on our capes and put on our shields on our chest and, and just take it, right? And sometimes we all have natural breaking points. Um, but at the end of the day, we are restricted in a sense in what we can say. And again, we have an obligation to be neutral in these situations, especially when, when there's protests going on. I think, Jim, you brought up a very valid point earlier that the best thing a department and agency can do is if there is a known demonstration coming to town to reach out, have the conversations ahead of time with the organizers, and again, find some common ground that can be worked out ahead of time. That can only go to your advantage. But at the same time too, is educating your officers on what the expectations are as an agency, what you can lawfully do, what are your policies and procedures dictate, what are your procedure manuals say, have you rehearsed all these things? Um, and for some agencies, they have to scramble and scramble fast to get all those things done because they don't train on those things on a regular basis, and they really should, because you never know when a spontaneous incident will occur. And never say it'll never happen here, because it very well could, and be prepared and ready to go. But you know, when it comes to officers and, and what their rights are in terms of the First Amendment, we are limited. And there's a couple pieces of case law that I think would be really beneficial. We could spend hours in this conversation on these cases. Um, but a couple of things that I'm gonna recommend for folks that love to go read and research, look up the case of uh, Pickering v. Board of Education. Also another case entitled Connick versus Myers. And, and again, I'll, I'll, you'll have my information. If anybody ever wants to reach out, I'll get you all these documents and help you uh, if you can't write it down fast enough for the spelling. Uh, Lane versus Frank and Garcetti versus, um, I, always, I always screw this one up, but Cebalos, it's C-E-B-A-L-L-O-S. I'm certain there's an, a different pronunciation to it, but that's the only way I can do it. Um, but also another document that I found really helpful that is available out on the internet, and it's actually put out by the Congressional Research Service, 
and it's entitled Freedom of Speech and Press, Exceptions to the First Amendment. It was written by Kathleen Ruan, and it's a document from 2014. And this, I, I think there's like 30 to 40 pages of this document. Um, I'm actually looking at it because I have a copy of it sitting here in my office. There's 35 pages to it. And it's a fantastic document. It gives you a lot of insight to First Amendment, what the restrictions are, uh, time, manner, and place, all those things that, that are involved in First Amendment and what could come back to First Amendment auditing. Also, school board, it talks about your rights of speech, but also what law enforcement um, usually gets stuck in the middle at these school board meetings uh, to have to pull people out. Um, that are publicly speaking, that's a really hot topic um, and one that, that um, a lot of people don't want to deal with because it, it's, it's tough. It's tough stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, the, the Supreme Court has already ruled that the government has an interest in regulating the speech of its employees. And rightfully so, because we have an obligation to make sure that we're following the Constitution and protecting the constitutional rights of the people that, that are involved. And we swore an oath to this. So because we've done that, yeah, your speech is going to be limited because of that interest of the entity for whom you work. And, and rightfully so, because at the end of the day, they're going to have to cut a check if you violate somebody's rights. So we want to make sure that we're on, on the right side of the, of the wall or the fence. And also when it comes to, into our opinions and editorials, um, at the beginning of this session, I declared my First Amendment right, separated myself from anybody that I represent or any employer that I may work for or anybody that, that cuts a check that goes into my bank account. I need to separate myself from them in order to have this free conversation with you about First Amendment. So I exercised that privilege and right, right at the beginning and declared where I stand on it. So my interests are protected as well. But well, when we're on duty, yeah, we're, that's we're it. wearing the badge, we've got to protect ourselves, but we're under our employer at that moment in time. So getting on, on TikTok, um, there was an officer that got on TikTok. I don't know if you saw her. Um, she was upset about somebody driving in front of her in her marked police car and basically went on to TikTok and said, look, um, if, if you see a cop car behind you, get the F out of the way. Well, guess what? You're going to get disciplined. If I was your chief, I probably would have fired you because that's totally unacceptable, especially on duty. You can't do that. That is wrong. And, and it violates every principle and ethic I could ever come up with. Yeah, that's that's what I wanted to ask you. Can an officer shield themselves by giving a disclaimer? Uh, this is, you know, no way am I affiliated with my agency. The 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 just incident that you gave, uh, the example you gave is one thing that's fairly obvious, right? But uh, another officer um, was recently. I think she either was fired or she quit on her own for when the agency found out she had a fans only or only fans page and um, there were some moral uh, turpitude um, questions about that one can an officer shield themselves and be protected for their 
own First Amendment rights that they want to exercise exclusive of any insignia or uniform or relationship with an agency? One, again, like I said, I'm not here giving legal advice. So you need to seek out your own legal opinion on this. This is just my opinion. You need to go back and look at that officer's Facebook page or social media page. If they have posted all over that page, hey, I work for XYZ Police Department. I'm a patrol officer. I work this shift. And you know, you're showing yourself in your uniform and, and on duty and, and all these things, then I would say you're probably going to lose that argument of protection. But if you have a private social media to where you've never disclosed the agency that you're with, you've never shown yourself in uniform, there is absolutely nothing on there in no way or form that associates you with the government agency that you're working with, then I would probably say you've got a pretty good argument to express what you wish to express. Um, but again, court of law will have to play that out or your legal counsel will need to give you that determination. But from all the folks that I've talked to in the legal field, it seems a pretty good consensus that as long as you have stripped any association and don't display any of those things, then if you wanna go out and, and talk about a hot topic, then so be it. But here's the thing, officers, are doing this stuff while they're on duty. They're doing it while they're in their police cars. They're, they're showing themselves in uniform, doing these TikTok videos on a regular basis. And don't get me wrong, some of this stuff is great community relations. I love the fact that you know officers get out there and try to line dance. Trust me, you don't wanna see me dance, uh, especially in uniform. But I would do it for the sake of kids or do it for the sake of the community and building engagement. But I'm not gonna go on TikTok and put those things out there. So again, officers just need to be smart about how they're doing it. But again, if you're putting yourself out there in the ether with your uniform on and association and, and you're with this group and that group, and um, that's where I think officers are really getting into a lot of trouble. Because if you go back and look at some of the Supreme Court's writings, this is where the restrictions come into play, time, place, and manner. The time and the place, but the manner in which it's done. They can have some narrowing restrictions, and especially on the officers, because if they're representing the agency in the interests of the government, then yeah, you can't be doing those things. It's yeah. just not right, it's not appropriate. Um, and it's not serving our, our, the needs of our constituents or those that we're sworn to protect. Because again, they're gonna ask you, well, then you're biased. Then you're, you're automatically siding with this side of the argument and how about my side? And again, we're the peacekeepers. We're the ones in the middle that have to keep the peace on both sides and allow people to exercise their freedoms. But if you're out there in uniform and creating bias, what does that say to the public? And that creates even more havoc and more issues. So that's where the government is coming in and saying, look, this is where our interests as a government have to take, take rise and you have to be neutral. And the things you put out on social media and the fact that you represent yourself with this agency and the way you're doing it, it doesn't serve our interests in keeping balance for our communities. So, Again, we've just got to be really cautious and very careful in our own personal social media out outlets. 
Sure. And every officer should be aware of their own department social media policies and stick to them. You know, ironically, I just came from the from a conference, a police conference in California. And when they talked about resilience, uh, one of the top ways that the best people uh, with resilience uh, keep their composure is through humor and even dark humor. And <laughs> we we talked at length about, you know, you know, it's the way we deal with these awful things that we see sometimes or or repetitively. And it's it's hard to get away. And I have seen some TikToks and Instagram videos uh, that are pretty clever and humorous, and they break the tension. And it's just a shame that that, you know, everybody gets caught up in the same net of social media. And as hard as it is to recruit these days to lose any officers for a social media uh, mistake, it's, you know, that's awful. Yeah, yeah I want to for saying bad. Yeah, for sure. Hey, I want to be respectful of your time. Thank you so much for appearing. Where can our listeners hear more about what you're talking about, see your publications? Um, actually, I, I just got done publishing another article for the Georgia Chiefs of Police. Um, I teach for the FBI National Academy. Um, so uh, Ray Ferris has had me out um, and hopefully uh, be out there on the road a little bit more with him here coming in 2023. Uh, people can get a hold of me uh, by email if you would like. Um, I don't call it my fan mail, uh, but don't send hate messages, please. That those are never accepted. Um, but you can send those over to me at Chief Scott 101 at yahoo.com. It's Chief Scott 101 at yahoo.com. Um, I do come out to agencies and speak. I've done Zoom meetings with agencies on various topics, um, especially the First Amendment stuff, uh, helping agencies out, even doing roll call training for them that way. Um, so again, I'm more than willing to help any agency that I can because um, I want officers to do well. I want them to succeed, to stay safe, uh, go out and do the job that they were sworn to do. Um, but the reality is sometimes agencies are falling short and they're not training officers like they should. And, and taking advantage of training. And I know sometimes budgets are tight. I, I hear that a lot from chiefs, but I guess, guess what? You need to be creative. We've got to come up with creative ideas. And that roll call training that I talked about doesn't cost you a dime. It just costs somebody to take the initiative to research a, a topic, your policy, put a scenario together and work it. Take it into your roll call and make it happen. Let these, you know, that's one of the things I love about Lexipol is that they have the roll call training and the DTBs, the daily training bulletins. Those are great exercises, but some of the best training that can take place is with you as the chief or you as the command staff with your officers in roll call, short little segments, because adult learners, about 20 minutes is max, right? So I've always argued, why do we have 50 minute classes when they always say 20 minutes is tops? I, I kind of laugh at that one. But again, take 10 minutes, short, sweet, to the point. And here's the thing, think about over a year's time, what you can accomplish with your policy manual and your officers by doing it that way. You can cover a lot of your policy manual year in and year out. And think about this, how awesome is it when you have a highly educated, highly knowledgeable staff that keeps you out of court, that keeps you out of civil litigation, 
and your department becomes the pinnacle of of the region or the area or the state so you know and all that comes from investing in your officers and training them and doing it right and doing it often great hey thank you so much chief jeff scott and uh look forward to seeing what you're writing about these days thanks so much for being on absolutely thanks jim have a great day all right, you too. And to our listeners, let me know what you think about the show. Drop me a line at policingmatters at police1.com. Policingmatters at police1.com. Let me know what you're thinking. Let me know what you want to hear about. I'll get back to you real soon. Hey, thanks for listening. Stay safe. Talk to you again real soon.